the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And it's time for the second of our occasional Spouse's Request Choices. The first Spouse's Request Choice was a while back. It was my wife that picked it. It was Cocktail and we both hated it. What is Spouse's Request to Hayley? So my husband, Phil, has requested that we cover the film The Calcium Kid. And the reason he wanted us to discuss this movie is because when he worked in a cinema many years ago, he randomly stumbled upon this movie and it was only screened for one week and he quite enjoyed it. And he just thought that it's quite underrated and it's not a film that he's heard discussed very often. So he just wanted to give Team HD the chance to delve into The Calcium Kid. Fair enough, let's give it a shot. Yes, it's Spouse's Request time again. It is 2004's The Calcium Kid, directed by Alex Dirakoff. It is a sports mockumentary starring a very young Orlando Bloom. And this is the first time that we've covered a boxing film. So, I mean, I know we gave you a bit of sports in Teen Wolf last time, but boxing, this is new territory for us. I have no knowledge about boxing other than brief glimpses I've seen of it on TV. So I'm not coming from an expert perspective at all. And as we say, it's any genre, any movie and any quality. So did the Calcium Kid hold up? Let's find out. Before we start discussing the movie, I'm just going to read a brief synopsis of IMDb. This one is written by KGF Vissers. Jimmy Connolly, an English bachelor milkman, accidentally knocks down his boxing club's champion as a stand-in sparring partner. The champ was scheduled for a title fight against the reigning American world champion, so the sleazy manager decides to substitute him with Jimmy, who is now groomed for stardom. Naive Jimmy does everything the crook says, only to be blamed when it all explodes in their faces big time. Will he keep taking it or stand his ground before his whole career and private life are ruined? That is very reminiscent of Nick Reganis's writing, I, I think. So I, I feel he's kind of with us there in, in spirit. So The Calcium Kid, it's very much a snapshot into early 2000s media. And even though a lot of the attitudes in this film definitely don't hold up in it, anymore it's very reminiscent of its time i have to start by saying the women in this film did not like how women were represented whatsoever they are completely objectified portrayed as sex objects the butt of jokes relating to sex there's just that is basically the character development of women in this film and as i say it's a very eye-opening depiction of what the media were like back in the early 2000s it's very much that kind of the Sun, Daily Mail perspective. 
it's basically satirical of that. And yeah, I can see why he would have found this underrated, but it's not a film that I thought was absolutely outstanding, but it's kind of fun in what it does and what it pokes fun at. Yeah, I don't think it was quite as funny as I thought it was going to be. I liked the setup, but I think it really does struggle to get laughed, especially in its second half. I think it doesn't really know where it's pitching itself. It tries to be a little bit more serious at some points, which doesn't really work. It needs to be silly. The main context of how Orlando Bloom gets to be thrown into this title fight at a week's notice, it would never happen. Now, if you've got a problem with this, then you're not going to be with the rest of the movie because the central conceit of this is so ridiculous and so far-fetched and just couldn't literally exist in a normal sporting context. It is kind of a fantasy, but at the same time, it's not a fantasy because it is a mockumentary, so it's portraying this as real life. Yes, it's got quite a lot of people who were comedy figures in the early 2000s, and they're still around now, so you've got people like Mark Heap, who is very well known for his comedic portrayals in various shows, such as Green Wing. So if you're a fan of Green Wing from way back, he was in that. Uh, Omar Jalili is in it. He's a very well-known comic in the UK. It's got Billy Piper in it, in an absolutely throwaway role. I do not understand why this movie didn't make more of Billy Piper. She has a nothing role in this movie. She is there just to be a love interest, which they do nothing with. There's no development of the romantic subplot. She's just there to stand around in not much clothing and moon all over Orlando Bloom. And Orlando Bloom makes big puppy dog eyes at her. But there's no development of the relationship between them. It just goes from zero to 100. Spoiler alert, you don't need me to tell you that right at the end, Orlando Bloom's character and Billy Piper's character get together just because that's what the script deigns that they have to do. There's nothing in between to suggest that they will. There's a couple of glances. He does actually accidentally grab her boobs at one point, which is kind of creepy because he hangs on to them for most of the scene and then Billy Piper's character says something like, oh, can I have my knockers back, please? Which I think the film was thinking, oh, it's sweet, it's innocent, that's kind of a fun way of getting them together. That's kind of creepy, I have to say. It does have some laughs in it. I did chuckle quite a bit through this movie. I think it does ultimately fall short because it doesn't really know what to do with itself. It's got this idea for a mockumentary but it's fairly limited in what it has to do. It's following the Calcium Kid around, and it's got kind of satirical asides about his home life and what his mum does for a living and his stupid best friend. So you've got all these tropes. The plot with his mum, that's quite seedy. Ronnie Ancona plays his mum. I absolutely love Ronnie Ancona. I think she's amazing. But again, she's given nothing to do in this movie apart from pretend that she isn't a prostitute and ha ha we're making fun of the fact that Orlando Bloom's mum is a prostitute in this movie but every time somebody asks about it she says she's a massage therapist and they just wring every single well every single laugh out of this joke I was going to say there are no laughs out of that joke so they wring nothing out of it but every so often they go back and say 
oh, remember that we told you this woman was a massage therapist, but she's actually a prostitute. We're going to tell you again. And they just hammer this joke throughout the movie. It's not funny the first time. It's not funny the second time. It's not funny the seventh time they do this. But it's an interesting movie. It's one of those movies that I think it was born out of the fact, as you say, it was like the portrayal of the media. And it was of an era where there were quite a lot of fly-on-the-wall documentaries because we'd got reality TV kicking in. And there was a lot of stuff where they were following people around, people who were doing real jobs. And this is kind of flipping it on its head a little bit. It's about a guy who is doing a real job because he's a milkman thrown into this fantastical situation where he has to fight somebody for a world title bout. It's an odd movie in quite a lot of ways, this one, because I did want to like it. I kind of liked it. I was a little bit disappointed. It doesn't really hit the mark quite a lot. It's got some strange casting in because it's got people that you would know from Marvel movies. Now, you've got Michael Peña in it as the Mexican boxer that Orlando Bloom is going up against. So it's got a good cast. I think the writing falls a little bit short. I think it reckons that it's a lot smarter than it actually is. But if you're a little bit more relaxed about it and you like a bit of a an easygoing time, it's quite gentle. Although, having said that, I was going to say the humour is quite gentle. It is in some places, but then it's it's set up against other jokes that are kind of quite mean-spirited, and there's a lot of swearing in it at one point. So it's kind of got this weird flip between this very gentle sort of character piece about this guy who's like thrust into this world, and he's quite an innocent guy, and he's quite likeable. But then... You've got this really aggressive bad guy and there's quite a lot of bad language. So it's a weird thing. I mean, it's a 15 certificate, which is quite right because there's some sexual references and there's a lot of bad language in it. But it seems to be two films fighting against each other. You've got this really kind of sweet character portrayal that it's trying to go for the pathos. And it's like, oh, isn't this guy lovely? You kind of want good things for him. And then you've got these really horrible kind of sexist and really aggressive jokes, which I found quite weird. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I kind of liked it. I'm of that mindset with it because it didn't really offend me in any way. As I say, it was very much of its time. But I do agree with you on a lot of points there. I mean, Billy Piper is wasted. This was before she got cast in Doctor Who, I believe. So I don't think they really knew her full potential. I think this was her transition from the pop star era to actress. But yeah, they could have done so much more with her. And going back to female characters generally... The other portrayal they have, there's a girl who lives on the same street as Jimmy and she's portrayed as this unhinged stalker. And again, it's a very negative portrayal of female character that she's pining after this guy that isn't interested in her and then will go to crazy lengths to get him. So again, I wasn't really a fan of that. And that's just like the whole subplot with mum. It's just they rinse that for as much as they can get out of it and it just becomes more and more unfunny as the time goes on. So I actually do remember hearing about this movie back in the day. It just came to me that I used to buy a lot of teen magazines back at that time. I mean, 2004, I was 14 years old. And I remember Orlando Bloom was a bit of a heartthrob back in those days, and he would have featured in the magazines. And I remember reading that he was going to be in this film. And then when Billy Piper turned up, I thought, oh, something seems familiar about that as well, because she was probably written about at that point. But I couldn't really find a lot of information generally about the background of this film. And I was wondering, was this filmed 
before Orlando Bloom became quite famous because bear in mind, Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean had been released before this film. And I just found it quite interesting that he'd done these really big budget blockbuster movies and then does this kind of more low budget British mockumentary. So I wasn't really sure of the timeline of whether he filmed this before he became famous or if it was actually filmed after he'd hit the stardom with those franchises. So that's something that I'm quite curious about and I couldn't find any information. I mean, you know, fair play if he wanted to be in something that was a little bit different and a little bit more low budget, then good for him that he's broadening his acting scope there. But yeah, I just found that quite interesting. I did find the movie did drag towards the end. I think it could have wrapped up on itself a bit sooner because I think there was only so far that you could go with this plot. And again, it's quite creative with the mockumentary style, but I feel it just goes on and on and it would be kind of more episodic. It would work better as like a mini series than a film in some ways, especially because I think maybe the jokes would have landed a bit better if it hadn't been so drawn out in the film format. Yeah. Yeah, it does have a few good gags, but as you say, it just rinses them for all it's worth. It just tries too hard to get the same sort of laughs out of the same sort of gags. There is a dreadfully awful Irish stereotype in this movie as well. The Irish trainer, played by David Kelly, it's the most Irish man you will ever see on celluloid. It's a collection of... Irish cliches all stuck together in one character. What were they thinking? I mean, yeah, you can play up somebody's Irishness a little bit, but this guy is so unbelievably Irish that I would think that anybody Irish sitting in this movie would be reasonably offended by the portrayal of the Irish guy in this movie. And I know it's trading in exaggeration. All the characters are exaggerated in some way. You've got Omid Jalili as the promoter. Herbie Bush and he's kind of the wide boy and they play up his petty criminal activity and that's fair enough to a certain extent but the Irish guy they just drop him in there and he's just a walking talking set of cliches about Ireland and it doesn't forward the movie any I'm surprised they didn't put a pint of Guinness in his hand and have him talking about leprechauns because that's pretty much all he doesn't do in terms of saying, hey, look at me, I'm incredibly Irish. There's a couple of other gags which kind of work. There's the cameraman that keeps getting injured. That's reasonably funny. They don't hammer that quite as much as the other jokes. That's okay. Rafe Spall, as Orlando Bloom's character's best friend, I can see what they were trying to do, and Rafe Spall is quite a funny guy, naturally. He works very hard to make the character amusing, but he's got a lot of work to do. And by the end, when he's doing that kind of rap music video, when he's talking about the upcoming fight, I was just thinking, can we please focus less on this knobhead and get the movie over, please? Because he does nothing in the last act of the movie other than slow everything down. Let's get to the last bit. Let's get to the point where they're going to fight each other and not have this guy jumping in every so often with his weird shtick. And it's like a lot of this movie. There's a lot of elements in this movie and some of them don't appear to fit very well. And I don't know if it was the kind of thing where 
the production was like, well, anything goes. We can chuck as many gags in as they want. And if they don't land, doesn't really matter. We're just going to throw some more in. And it does have that feeling of slightly unstructured comedy set pieces, some of which are absolutely fine, some of which fall flat on their arse from minute one. Now, the only problem with this movie is if they do fall flat on their arse, they will thrash them even though they're dying on their arse. It's like, no, we're just going to keep going with this until we get to the next set piece. So there are flat spots in this movie where I just thought, oh, God, please, please get on with it. One of the things that does work, and it was one of the things that I saw a clip of before I actually saw this for the first time, was a boy band called The Altar Boys who were doing a version of God Save the Queen as a prelude to the fight and they're rehearsing this version of the national anthem that is funny i did laugh a lot during that that is a proper decent piss take of boy bands but the problem with that is i'd seen it on a clip and thought oh the rest of the movie might be this funny unfortunately a lot of the rest of the movie isn't that funny but you'll still laugh at the bit about the altar boys because it is a bunch of pretty boys trying to be a boy band stumbling over the dance moves a ridiculous upbeat dance version of the national anthem but it actually does work in this movie it's probably one of the best jokes in the film yeah i'm in agreement with you there i genuinely did laugh out loud during that sequence and they say they've got it pitch perfect how to parody a boy band Boy bands were kind of still there around 2004. I think they were losing their appeal a bit. I can't really remember any sort of significant boy band. I think there was a lot of solo artists during that time, but it was very funny and they got it right there. But yeah, when you're hoping that if they've set the bar there and you've seen it on a clip and then the rest of the movie doesn't deliver it, it just does fall a bit flat and it is a bit disappointing. The critics weren't as kind on it. That's why I think it's kind of, been swept under the radar so to speak it didn't really get high ratings whatsoever so I think it was one of those things it's just generally an okay watch as you say it's easy to watch it's not too taxing you might get a couple of laughs out of it the main characters empathetic to a point they do stage it so that you're rooting for him but it is kind of one of those where you feel like come on let's just get on with it now and as I said I think if it had been a bit more episodic that would have worked in its favor and they say going back to Rafe's ball as well what entered my head seeing that seems like goldie looking chain like something like that it was very much that british white rapper vibe of the time and yeah it, it's again it just went on for too long we don't need a rap sequence after everything that's going on in this film and i think it does become a bit anticlimactic by the end and you know as you say you don't have to spell it out how this film's going to turn out it's very much the story of a hero, the unlikely hero, we're going to root for him and he'll come good in the end. It's basically that. It comes full circle. I like the concept of it and it has a few moments in it that are quite funny, but on the whole, I don't think I could sit through this movie again. But at least it wasn't cocktail. We're not complaining. We're not ranting. So there's that. Yeah, Absolutely. I would sit through this again. If it was the choice between this and Cocktail again, I would sit through this again in a heartbeat because this did not make me angry. And I think generally, apart from the fact that it does not know what to do with its female characters, it does not know how to write a female character either. But generally, I think it's trying to have its heart in the right place. 
I don't think it quite reaches where it needs to get to, but it's sweet enough in enough places to get through my sort of cynical outer layer. It's got enough goodwill, it just about made it over the line for me. So I didn't eventually find it a chore. I switched it off at the end and just thought, you know what, that was fine. I didn't mind it at all. It's problematic in a couple of places. But overall, I think you could probably do a lot worse. It's something that's going to wash over you. You're probably not going to remember it half an hour after you've watched it. It's that sort of movie. But while it's on, it's a reasonably fun time. It does overstretch its premise somewhat. The weird thing about it is that it kind of half focuses on his job. So there's things that, that work. There's his boss. There's a there's like a talking head with his boss about what Jimmy does. He's kind of a, he's a milkman and he drives the milk float around. So it kind of jumps into his work life and then kind of ditches that for quite a long period of the movie and then comes back to it at the end because obviously Jimmy's in trouble because they think he's been saying really awful racist things about the other fighter when he's been put up to it and he loses his job and, you know, all the other stuff that you would normally get in the third act of a movie before he comes good again. What is interesting about the sequences in the milk floats, right at the end of the credits, it does say, because Jimmy works for Express Dairies, Express Dairies, real company, he's driving around in an Express Dairies milk float. The credits say, the producer acknowledges that the behaviour of the character Jimmy Connolly in the film does not reflect the health and safety procedures of Express Dairies. So relieved to know that, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a, a fun little trivia about it. The moment in the film where he does get accused of being a fascist, that is where it does become quite uncomfortable. Like, I was not enjoying myself during that whole sequence. And again, it's very prolonged. And then he gets these skinheads following him about as well hero worshipping him because they think he's a racist and it's it's not that funny considering there are groups like that out there I just yeah I just don't think I think they take it too far and it is in bad taste and I think they completely intend for it to be it just kind of turns me off the film a bit because everyone is then picking on this character and he's completely innocent and it's a, it's a bit sad that we've gone down that route with it and it just goes on for way too long so that was a moment that I wasn't totally on board with. You will feel that kind of jaw-dropping uncomfortableness in some of the moments and in ways that certain groups have portrayed in it, but it was very much a snapshot of its time. And as you said, reality TV had hit big during this period and everybody was interested in following the everyman, so to speak. You had shows like Big Brother and that, and it's just that idea of getting all these people in a space and just seeing what will happen and just let the fireworks go off and again very much with this they're just a camera following this guy's life and all his interactions and then it's basically showing the ugly side of fame so i say it has a lot to say it has a commentary about what the media was like at the time when you look back at it you just realize like how appalling it all was back then and we were kind of like not okay with it but it was just sort of like oh it's the media this is how they are but no it's not okay yeah and i think unfortunately the media hasn't got a whole lot better in the two decades that we've had since then certainly the tabloid press is as bad as it ever was i like the fact that 
this could be a sneaky comment right at the end there's a front page headline in the sun where the word siege is spelled incorrectly now i wonder if it was just something where they mocked up a front page and just accidentally misspelled siege or whether they were saying the people that write the sun can't even spell now i want it to be the second one because i believe that the people that write the articles in the sun can't spell and have no interest in journalism it's a piece of shit basically i would rather read pretty much anything else and it was the it was the paper that had topless women on page three of which there is a sequence where somebody does show page three of the sun or the mock-up of the sun and there is a topless woman and they're commenting about like how amazing this woman is on page three you're right at the time it was starting to drift towards people saying page three is a bad thing why do we need topless women in the middle of a newspaper it doesn't fit but there are still people who will say oh well i miss i miss the topless bird on page three of the sun it's like why why would you miss that it's nothing to do with the news but i'm not going to get into an argument about who reads the sun because i'd get into a massive amount of trouble the other thing I will say as a positive is there are a couple of real life boxers that call in on Orlando Bloom's character just before he's fighting. And this is genuinely funny because Frank Bruno comes in and basically just says, well, I hope you knock his head off. And then you get Chris Eubank coming in and Chris Eubank says nothing about the fight. He says nothing about boxing. Chris Eubank is going on about this discussion about how the bumblebee can take flight when all the laws of physics say that that shouldn't be possible and yet we still have the bumblebee able to fly it is quite inspired it was the bit of the movie where i was taken back was like you know what that's a really good joke that is considering what's previously gone before it when chris Eubank comes in he's just going on about isn't it wonderful and isn't it defying the laws of physics that the bumblebee can fly because it shouldn't be able to. And then in the end, he just walks out. Doesn't say anything about the fight. Says his bumblebee piece. Walks out. And then everybody's just got this look on the face. It was like, what was that? Along with the altar boys, the Chris Eubank bit is the funniest bit in the movie for me. Yeah, definitely. Those cameos are very well timed. And it's, yeah, kind of nice that they save those for the ends. At least we have a little bit of saving grace before the movie does finish. But yeah, the calcium kit. What did IMDb have to say about it? And what about Rotten Tomatoes? Shall we find out? So, IMDb have rated it a respectable 5.6 out of 10. I'm inclined to agree there. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 54% audience score and a 0% martyr meter. I mean, it's not that bad for it, but yeah, the milk left a sour taste in the critics' mouths with this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zero percent. That was terrible. No, no, it was no. It, it needed <laughs> it needed to be cracked that joke. Hey, it's no worse than any of the jokes in the first half of the Calcium Kid. To be perfectly honest, so that that would have made it in. Zero percent. I mean, I think it's not got a huge amount of critic reviews on there. It's only a small number. But even so, a small number of critic reviews, all negative, does count against it. And I get it. It's kind of slight. It's a bit flimsy. It doesn't really say a lot, even though it's giving these quite sort of big, heavy ideas, doesn't really do a lot with them. It's suggesting things like the whole thing about having a set of basically racist fans following you about. And you're right, it's uncomfortably done. 
And I don't think you can make that sort of racism funny anyway. So I'm not really sure why they tried that out. I think the only way you can make that sort of thing funny is to actually focus on the people that are following you around and lampooning their ridiculous, outdated, awful views. But it doesn't fit with the sort of light tone of the movie. It's unnecessarily heavy, considering what sort of a movie it is, because it's a fantasy sports comedy at the heart of it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, should we have something to say about racism? Yeah, not in this movie. Do it in another movie. Yeah, they have This Is England for that. It just doesn't sit right. And what's interesting, if you head to the trivia section on IMDb, there is a fact about this whole subplot, which I think they were going to make more of it, but obviously cut it for time. But to quote word for word IMDb, the DVD deleted scenes explains the skinhead's disappearance from the movie after stalking Jimmy for a while. They stopped following Jimmy after seeing the tabloid coverage of a strange tour of his to a hospital in order to gain sympathy from his fans. The tour turns into a series of problematic incidents where Jimmy and his entourage meet Jose Mendez, amusing sick kids who don't want the calcium kids present, which makes them move to the maternity sector where a black pregnant woman goes into labour work after playing fight with the boxer. I'm not really sure who wrote that and if that makes any sense. So they try to make more of it and try to justify how he pulled back this um, perception of him of being fascist and then having these characters disappear. But again, I don't think that would have been totally necessary. This is the point where the movie goes really stale and too far. And as you say, this whole thing didn't really belong in there. But I think comedy back then really did try pushing the boundaries. I think they went for those under the skin uncomfortableness just trying to see how far they could push it. And I think that, that's very much what they were trying to do here. But yeah, it just goes to some strange places that I wasn't really expecting. I don't think this is a movie I would revisit, but it wasn't terrible either. I think I'm very much kind of on the indifferent front with this one. Yeah, same here. I think it's perfectly fine in terms of what it's trying to do. It overreaches. I don't think it's as funny as it sets out to be. And certainly, as we've said, the bit with the subplot about him being held up as the poster boy for racist wankers. You've got to be very skillful at making that funny. And I don't think they're skillful enough to make that funny. And the subplot should have just pretty much gone. It doesn't necessarily need to be there. And if they cut that bit in the hospital for time, they should have cut the rest of it for time as well. Because it's 88 minutes, but it could have easily custard by it being 75 80 minutes this could have lost 10 minutes i think the problem is it's trying to get to 90 minutes and it's just right what do we do to sort of bump the running time up you don't actually need to hit 90 minutes if you've got a good movie it doesn't matter if it runs 80 it's fine i'd rather have a really funny 80 minute comedy than a 90 minute comedy where i thought yeah there's kind of 10 15 minutes of that where nothing actually happened and i could have done without it Certainly, the resolution of the racism subplot, well, I'm assuming he helps deliver the baby of the Black Mother. I mean, that is almost as offensive as the other stuff because that's really trying hard to say, you know what, this guy is such an anti-racist that we're going to have him rescue an expectant Black Mother in the hospital who's obviously in some kind of medical trouble and, and then he's great after that. He's the hero to everybody. But to get him to hero status by doing that, no. 
if they cut it for time, fine, it, they were lucky. If somebody looked at it and cut it because they thought, oh God, we can't show this, even better. But again, it just unbalances everything else as well because all of a sudden it's like, this guy's a racist and then all of a sudden this guy is probably not a racist, but you don't get that progression. It's only at the very end where he rescues Jose and knocks out the bad guy that he's returned to his hero status. So it does feel like a movie that's got a chunk missing. And you having said that, I know why there's a chunk missing now. I'm not really sure I want to see the chunk, though. No, so I presume this has been filmed and is included on the DVD. It's not a DVD I'll ever own, so... And I don't know if I want to go there and try and seek this out. Probably not. But I think if they just have had it as a very brief mishap in the press conference that's quickly resolved, that would have been better and then they could have just moved on. They didn't need that conflict in there. I mean, if they needed some sort of conflict, they could have done something else. Maybe the whole revelation about his mother's extracurricular work. (laughs) Maybe that could have been the conflict and then they move swiftly on from it. But yeah, this whole bit, I just don't understand why they dragged it out as much as they did. But as you say, I'm relieved just the same as you that they didn't go that far with, you know, we don't don't need childbirth in this movie on top of everything else. And there's that whole question mark over consent because if they have a mockumentary and there's some random woman going into labour, has she consented to be filmed and shown on national television giving birth? It's a very, very odd choice. And I don't think that was well thought through. So I think that could have gotten really icky in terms of how it would have been a male gaze on a woman giving birth considering how women are portrayed generally in this film as sex objects i just don't think this would have been appropriate so i'm glad they abandoned it and i hope um, people don't bother pressing the extra features on the dvd if they're gonna watch it yeah i think for phil he liked this because he was a fan of a lot of the actors involved in it and it was just something that he'd seen at the time and quite enjoyed it Again, we had different mindsets back in 2004, things that the press were pushing on us as, well, not acceptable, but as the norm, I suppose. Like, you know, we maybe wouldn't have questioned it as much as we do now. I'm not really sure, but it was just a case of he liked the actors in it. It was a comedy. And it was just something that, as I say, I said at the beginning, that it, it just went under the radar. And interestingly, it was distributed by Universal. So me going back to being curious about Orlando Bloom's status in this, like how big of an actor he was at the time. Maybe this was him just seeking out a very different project to what he'd done. I mean, when you go through these epic blockbuster movies and then do something like this, it was probably just a break from, you know, all the sword fighting and pirates. Yeah, and it was a working title production, so respected British filmmaking companies. So it's got a bit of pedigree behind it. It's probably not the sort of thing that working title were doing as the norm. So they stepped out a little bit. But yeah, there's certainly legit companies behind this. It wasn't something that was just thrown away as some micro-budgeted indie product. So there's something that's obviously got a little bit of money behind it at the very least. I'm glad I watched it because it's a movie I'd never seen before. So it's nice to come to something that you haven't ever seen and hadn't really known a lot about either and I made the point of not reading up a huge amount about it before I came into it because I thought you know I'll just go into this as cold as I possibly can and I had a reasonably good time with it yes as we've gone on over the last sort of half an hour or so there are 
elements in this movie that are problematic and will continue to be problematic. But as we've covered loads and loads of movies from previous decades, this isn't a unique occurrence. And there is enough stuff in this movie, I think. The sweet bits are very sweet. It's just a little bit jarring when you get to the problematic moments. However, I didn't hate it. I, I'm not in a cocktail mode here. I, I'm not ranting about this movie. Yes, it's got problems. Yes, it's not perfect. Yes, it's not as funny as it thinks it is. Yes, there are points of this movie that just would have been better getting thrown in the bin. The jokes are overwrought in certain places. But overall, I didn't hate it. It was 88 minutes of my life that I thought, fine, I don't want them back. It's okay. I didn't mind watching The Calcium Kid. Yeah, same here. It is what it is. I mean, as I say, if you're looking for something easygoing, it's available on Amazon Prime, £2.49 rental if you're wanting a mockumentary sports movie. So thank you to Phil for bringing something different to our HD movie podcast table. We've not covered a boxing movie ever until now. So I'm glad that we had something a bit different to our usual um, standard of hallmark or horror. It was just nice to do something completely out of our comfort zone and for us both to have a first time watch. I mean, it's quite unusual that happens. Either one of us has seen a movie usually, or Darren definitely has. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 116 of the HD Movie Podcast. Once again, Thanks to Phil for picking The Calcium Kid. And as always to the rest of you, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to keep up to date with us, you can follow us on social media if you'd like to. We're on Facebook, X and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next episode. It's the second most wonderful time of the year. The most wonderful time of the year for us is Halloween, of course. But it is followed by Christmas. And it's time to get into our Christmas selection of episodes as we once again wish you a Merry Podmas. So, we've got four Christmas movies and one New Year movie coming up. What is the first of our Merry Podmas selection for 2023? So, we're going to be starting off with a childhood film of mine. We are going to be looking at 1994's A Miracle on 34th Street, starring Matilda herself, Mara Wilson. I'm very excited to rewatch this because it has been an age, so I wonder how I will approach this as an adult. Will it be problematic? More than likely, but we will definitely get into that. If it's not problematic, that's a win-win. Absolutely. And Richard Attenborough's Santa Claus. So how could you go wrong? It might go wrong, but let's see. Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.